Welcome to Global Outpouring. I'm Philip Buss. And I'm Sharon Buss. Welcome to our podcast today. We're so glad that you've joined us. Last week, we were talking about how things got so twisted in in our society and, and how it goes clear back to the very beginning. But, but now what can God do with something that's so twisted? In our last podcast, we were talking about how 2 Timothy chapter 3 describes what's going on with the perilous or the fierce times that we're living in. And, and it's a description of what, what is known as the end times. It's, it's the times right before Jesus comes back. Now, we don't know when he's coming back. We know he's coming back soon. Um, we, he probably won't come this afternoon, but, but we should live like he is. We should live like he's coming back this afternoon or tonight or first thing in the morning. Uh, but we also need to be making our plans to occupy until he comes. So we keep on making long range plans, but living in holiness, living in in relationship with him, living in an intimate way with him so that we're prepared for him no matter when he comes. So we want to talk today about the things that God can do with a life that has been damaged, a life that's been, you know, we've all been damaged. Come on. Uh, <laughs> we, we are descendants of Adam and Eve, and everybody has, has this twistedness in their DNA, this, this tendency, this bent towards temptation, this bent towards sin. There's, there's not one righteous. No, not one. But then Jesus came and he paid the penalty so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be restored back to what God intended in the first place with Adam and Eve, that that we can walk in relationship with our Father, that that he can actually write his word in our hearts, that he can be our God and we can be his people, that he erases our iniquities and our sins. That's what the good news is all about. And that's what we're trying to equip everybody for to, so that every single believer can be ready to work in the harvest fields as this outpouring of God's spirit comes in in the great way that it's about to. So I think one of the best places to start is with Romans 8.28. Philip, mm. do you have that in the Passion Translation? Yes, I do. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, amen. I want to read it in the Amplified as well. We are assured and know that God being a partner in their labor all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good to and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. Wow. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Now, the thing is, we're all called. If you've mm-hmm. got a belly button, <laughs> you know, you have been called according to his purpose. 
God wrote a book about you before you were ever born. He watched you being knit together in your mother's womb. He has a plan, and and he has just the most awesome way of causing things to work together for good, that no matter how bad your circumstances are, he gives you extraordinary grace and strength through his indwelling spirit to be able to overcome whatever it is that you that has been dealt to you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we talk about being dealt a bad hand or, uh, you know, having circumstances that are that are anything but good, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm reminded of the story that Merlin Carruthers has written on his website about a man who was so bad. Uh, he just, his whole life had been bad, just bad. And he was in prison and they, they called him the animal because he was so bad. The punishment for getting into a fight was being put down in this solitary confinement. They called it the hole. You had to be let down by a ladder and then the ladder was pulled up. It was it was deep, deep, deep. And all that there was for light was just this little bit of uh, an opening at the top. Uh, and they'd, they'd throw down your, your bread and water, you know, and you're stuck there for seven days. And most guys would stop fighting and not, they, they were deterred by the idea of, I'm not going back in the hole again. No, 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 mm-hmm. no, don't do that to me. But this guy, as soon as he'd get out of the hole, he was fighting again. And he, so he was in, in and out of the hole, seven days out for a short, short time, back in, seven days, back out, short time, back in. And finally, a guard who was a Christian who didn't really like the guy either, he threw him down this book called Prison to Praise. And in it, Merlin Carruthers tells about how important it is to give thanks and praise to God in every circumstance, whatever our circumstances are. And so this guy was just so broken and so wicked and so perverse in his thinking that he started mocking God and saying, all right, God, so I thank you that my mother left me when I was just a baby. I thank you that my father beat me mercilessly. I thank you that I started smoking when I was seven and I started drinking when I was eight, and, you know, and all the, all the horrible things that happened in his life. And he's going through this whole litany for days while he's in the hole. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to him. And he, he was wow. completely melted by the presence of the Lord, completely melted by his love, completely. He just, he just knew that he was loved. Jesus loved him. And it melted away all of the pain and all of the evil and all of the horrible things that had happened to him in his life. And he came out of the hole, a changed man. Yeah. And he he wanted to just love on everybody after that. <laughs> he just was a completely changed man. All things worked together for good. He didn't, he didn't love the Lord, not at that point, but he, he became a lover of God because of the love of God. And it's the love of God that transforms us. It's the love of God that sets us free. It's the love of God that sets us into a, a, a path of healing, that, that delivers us from the mistakes that we've made. Mm-hmm. It delivers yeah. us even from, from the hurts of, of things that were beyond our control. 
you know, perhaps your your birth wasn't what was, um, you know, socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, uh, uh, for instance, okay, in, in our case, let's talk about us. So I was born in India. My parents were missionaries, really good people. I don't remember if I've told this story before or not in in on a podcast, but if you if you've heard it before, I I guess it won't hurt you to hear it again. So I was the fourth of later five children, but my mother, when she would write letters home to her parents, you know, she would she would write signing the names of all the family members, and when she got to the last family member, which was still in utero, she would write Henry, <laughs> and. With knowing what happened later when my little sister came along, we were calling her Nathan. The whole family was calling her Nathan. And it wasn't Nathan that was born. It was a little girl. And, you know, we actually did, I, I it's not Philip's fault, but I, I was certain that when our daughter was coming that, that we were going to have a boy. I thought that I'd heard from God, and I was certainly quite wrong. And I called this baby Ian the whole time and it wasn't Ian that was born. And so when when I was born, I had been hearing this in the womb and there's something that happens in the psyche of a child that if you aren't the gender that you're being called, there's something that happens that, that makes you want to behave in such a way to make the people that are important to you, your family, to make them uh, love you thinking that that you were supposed to be what they said uh, let me let me put it in in what i'm what i might have been thinking in my infant mind you know i i can't be henry i'm a girl but i'll try i'll try really hard to be a boy and so when i was growing up i was i was a little tomboy and i wanted to play with the boys in the neighborhood, not the girls. And, and I wanted to be rough and tumble. And I, I wanted to play sports with my brothers. And I wanted to be just like my brothers. And, you know, my older sister was, was you know, the girly girl that played with dolls. And, you know, I, the only doll I played with pretty much was when she had a Barbie, I had a Ken. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it, that's just the way it was. But it, it took me years to understand that this I, I believe, this is my thought, and, and I, I think it bears out, it, it certainly bears considering, that my, my mindset became twisted even in the womb because of what I was being called. I didn't want to wear lace, you know. I, I just, <laughs> I didn't want to be a girly girl. I wanted to, my you mother. Look, you my, look pretty good in overalls. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and, and even when I was a, a, a little girl, you know, going to school, in those days we had, we had these um, rules of dress code. And my mother made me wear shorts under my skirt because I like to hang upside down from the monkey bars. And it just wasn't appropriate if I didn't have shorts on underneath. So, <laughs> but, but the, you know, the bottom line is that there was also a calling on my life a calling to minister, a calling to be a preacher, a calling to be a teacher, a calling that that included being something that was that required a greater strength than what an ordinary woman would have. Mm-hmm. 
And so um, I, I'm saying this bears out in my mind because, you know, the same thing happened to my younger sister, that she grew up as a tomboy, and our daughter grew up as a tomboy. You know, she she didn't do the girly girl thing. She wanted to play with bugs and animals and, you know, just do stuff that wasn't girly girlish. She didn't want to play with dolls. And, and so I really feel like there is something to this, and this, I think, can be part of the cause of some of the gender confusion that we have in our society today because things were spoken in the womb over this child, and the child is trying to just be what has been spoken because mm -hmm. we, we don't understand how important our words are. Our words are creative, just like our father's words when he said, let there be light caused light to be. Yes, I know. And the things that Jesus said, he's, he would say, be healed, and folks were healed. Things that we say come to be. Speak the word only. Yes, yes. Uh -huh. speak the word only, and my servant shall, shall be, be healed. healed. And, and so we don't really get it, how important our words are and how our words affect our children. And so I just, I wanted to throw that out there. You know, Philip has his own story too. Yeah, when I was, um, the, I have two older brothers. So the time came when I was coming along and but I was going to be a girl. Well, mom thought so. Mom thought so. And I was going to be Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> and she only had a pink layette. Had a, yeah, so, <laughs> so there was a, Big surprise, you know, I've already got two boys, you know, it's time for a girl now. You know? Can I insert something? Yes. Mom was a firstborn, your mother. Yes, she was. She was huh? a firstborn. She was accustomed to getting her way. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, firstborns are that way. They just are gung-ho. We're going to do this. Here's how it's going to be. And, you know, they have a tendency to be a little controlling. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Go ahead. Yeah, my poor dad sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and he wasn't a firstborn. He was a secondborn. He was a secondborn. He was very submissive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I did all the, of course, I avoided a lot of sports things. I played because of my size and all that. Right. But there, there was nothing effeminate about you. No, not at all. But it was easy how I could just fit right into, it's like my uh, my mom always paid the bills. Yeah. She did all that. She did all anything like that. and. Control the finances. And even in my previous marriage, you know, that that I had married someone that that uh, she was the same way like my mom was. She, was she a firstborn? Uh, no, she was um, no, she was a secondborn, mm. but she took on the um, attributes of her father. Uh -huh. It was a very, just very... Um, very strong. Very strong. And I remember in, in the big gas shortage and... You know, I was 73 and all that. He wouldn't wait in a line. Mm. I mean, he had no patience whatsoever. You know, and I think that kind of kind of went, went on the same mm -hmm. way too. But in that family, but also it was her mother that did all the bills mm -hmm. and did all that stuff. So that's the way that fell in her family. Mm -hmm. And so in my family, mom did all that stuff. So when we got married, that's the way it happened. Mm -hmm. You know, she she pretty well, she paid the bills, did all that stuff, but she was the more aggressive one. Mm -hmm. I and mean, we used to have a saying back then, well, we know who wears the pants in that family. Mm -hmm. Now, that's back when dresses were more predominant among women. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was a saying, well, this this woman is a very strong woman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what I had married into, very 
turned out in, uh, to be later very abusive and that too. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, you, you went on to do all kinds of very strongly male things like, you know, your, your performance racing and, and uh, that sort of thing. But you also have this uh, musical gift that comes down through your family. Uh-huh. And, and there's a, now I'm not, please hear me. I'm not saying that Philip is effeminate in any way, but, but there, there is a, how shall I say it? People who have a creative bent, men especially who have a pr- creative bent, have a a different kind of a mindset and a, and a, perhaps an enhanced area in their emotions that enables them to be creative more in a feminine way than you might expect for a man to have. Shall I say it that way? Is that fair? Um, that doesn't make a man a homosexual. And I, I think we have we have so lost our moral compass with regard to unbridled lust mm-hmm. that when a man has that uh, a creative ability and creative creativity in him inherently, where he might be a musician or an artist or a dancer or a dramatic, a writer, these, these, this creative, uh, the creative juices are something that is something that's typical for women. Women are very creative naturally um, because we, you know, we have the womb. We have the, we have the, the uh, tendency to be interested in, in being in making a home in, in that, that nesting process where, where we want to make our home beautiful and we want to decorate and, you know, th- those kind of things. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that, that just because you have a creative bent doesn't mean that you have a homosexual nature. That's something that's perverse. That is something that's twisted. And God wants to untwist those things and restore what he intended in the first place. Here's, here's another thing that, that I've been pondering. Okay, we, we started out talking about the fact that this is, this is the end times, uh, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Three where uh-huh. we're, we're in this, this fierce time where our society has gotten so fierce and so perverse in so many ways. We, we also read uh, Romans chapter 9 in our, in our last podcast. And that talks about God giving people over to a reprobate mind, where reprobate refers to something being, being twisted and something being not integrous. There's, there's no integrity. And integrity is, has been left out. And, and so you can't judge clearly. You can't judge with good reasoning because the reasoning capacity isn't there. Mm-hmm. It's been twisted. It's been perverted. And, and that causes all of these things to happen. I'm not only talking about homosexuality, but it is part of it. And what, what I'm seeing in the spirit is that as we are drawing closer to the coming of the Lord, the thing that God is working in us, working in his people, working in, in the, uh, the believers is the understanding of the maturing of the sons of God. 
okay? So you've got the, this, this picture of, of sonship where you, you, have a, you have a child that's nurtured and raised up. Yeah, talking about, you know, biblical culture, Jewish culture, uh, Hebrew culture. You have, uh, you have a child that's raised up at the age of 12 or 13, uh, there's a bar mitzvah. The child becomes responsible to become a part of a group of men that can pray together. You have to have 10 men to pray together in that culture. And so a 13-year-old a, a boy that's had his bar mitzvah can be part of that. Then you enter a period of like an apprenticeship up until the age of 30, at which time you become recognized as a mature man, where a, a father would step up and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Does that sound familiar? When Jesus was 30, he went to be baptized, and there's the voice of his father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So we're talking about a mature son. This is the sons of God that is also talked about in Romans 8, I believe it's verse 14, where it says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And this is the mature sons, the sons that become a part of the, uh, the family business. And the father turns the checkbook over to the son and, and says to all the, all the people of the town, this is my son. You can do business with him the same as you would be doing business with me. He can make decisions on my behalf. That's, that's the maturing of this group of believers. And we also have the picture in this time of the maturing of the bride. And so you have, you have uh, the idea of, of getting ready for the wedding. There's going to be a great wedding when, when Jesus comes for his bride, and his bride is the people of God. So you have the bride and you have the sons. And I, I really believe that that the perverseness that has come into our society to try and get men thinking that they're women and women thinking that they're men is because it's time for, for believers to mature into a place where men understand that they are not only sons, they are also the bride. And women understand they're not only the bride, but they're also sons. Mm -hmm. Every time God is about to do something, the devil tries to come in and pervert mm. it before yeah. the real thing happens. He comes, mm -hmm. he comes with this, with this um, twisting, and God wants to take the twisted things and twist them back into something right. You know, when Paul, of, Paul the Apostle, okay, he started out as Saul of Tarsus. Mm -hmm. So here we have a, a young man that is zealous absolutely zealous. He's full of pride. He's full of arrogance. He is absolutely convinced that these Christians are the, the most awful thing that ever happened. And, and we need to turn them back into Moses following people and get them to quit following this, this guy that they consider to be a false messiah. You know, let's turn them around. It's like we have to reprogram them. Ooh, well put, well put. So that's, that's what Saul of Tarsus was trying to do. And then, of course, he has his experience where God grabs a hold of him and twists him back into what he intended in the first place. Mm -hmm. yeah. he, had, he had been twisted with his zeal to go and do the wrong thing. He even had blood on his hands. And God twisted him back into what he fully intended in the first place. Yeah. Oh, wow. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing conversion. Yeah. 
And But then, you know, he's on his way to Rome eventually. He's in a shipwreck. The devil's trying to keep him from ever getting to Rome to bring witness in to Rome. And and they get they get um, stranded on the island of Malta, which is full of barbarians. <laughs> yeah. And he's he's out there gathering sticks for the fire. And what happened? That's when he got bit by the snake. And I'll read this uh, in the Passion. This is verse 3 of chapter 28. When Paul had gathered an armful of brushwood and was setting it on the fire, a venomous snake was driven out by the heat and latched onto Paul's hand with its fangs. When the islanders saw the snake dangling from Paul's hand, they said to one another, No doubt about it, this guy's a murderer. Even though he escaped death at sea, justice has now caught up with him. But Paul shook the snake off, flung it into the fire, and suffered no harm at all. Everyone watched him, expecting him to swell up or to suddenly drop dead. After observing him for a long time and seeing that nothing unusual happened, they changed their minds and said, he must be a god. You know, and sometimes it takes something supernatural for people to get their eyes open. Because mm-hmm. here you have heathen people on this island, you know, and all of a sudden, here, uh, in the natural, this snake bit anybody, they're a goner within minutes. You know, a venomous snake, they could tell by the shape of it and, uh, and all that when, when they saw it on him. They could tell by its markings and all that. But Paul... Whether he knew it was venomous or not, he just shook it off in the fire. And because God had it. Looks like it's really a terrible thing. Yeah, it looks like he's going to die, you know, and this, well, this guy is guilty, and this just really proves it. That it's just like God had a plan for Paul's life, Mm -hmm. and he preserved him. You know, and God's got a plan for your life, too. And even you may not feel like you're walking in it right now, you know, though the vision tarry, wait for it. That's what it says in the King James. Don't give up. You know, when God has given you something, keep persevering into it. And, you know, even though it may take, you know, we've, we're, we want it now. I mean, we're now people, you know, mm-hmm. we've made everything instant. Impatient. We're impatient. We, you know, if we don't have it our way, you know, we've, we've you know, we, we don't want God's way. We want our way. It's not until you get really close to the Father, you understand his ways more in the end, because all things will work out together for those that really love him those who are called for his purpose. So you're called for his purpose. And even though you may have been snake bit, and mm-hmm. you may have been snake bit uh, spiritually by someone uh, in the fellowship, by someone in your workforce, someone in your family, but if you can just press into the Lord, you know, and all things will work together for good without having bitterness in your heart, because bitterness will kill you. That'll That'll just turn into envious bitterness and... You know, it'll just eat you up is what it'll do, you know, and and you don't want that to happen because the devil will do anything to keep you from fulfilling your call that, that he has for you. And even Paul, you know, the Lord spoke to Paul, you shall bear witness for me in Rome. He had a thing because he was to appear before Nero two times, I think, even, wasn't it, that he appeared before Nero. But even though he was in, he was under house arrest and he wrote how much of the of the letters mm-hmm. to the to the churches, yeah, major portion of the New Testament, and that's how we have them because somebody went to jail, someone went to the cross for you. That was Jesus, mm-hmm. but Paul went to jail for you, so mm-hmm. you could you could read the letters to the churches of what they were going through, mm-hmm. and know how to how to use the word of God and fight for yourself, because you may not always have somebody 
near when you need them. You yeah. just may not have somebody to be right there. I, I have this I have this problem. Help me now. You know, we, we have to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit, especially in these days that we are. So, Father, I pray right now, Lord, for all those that are listening, Lord, that, that Lord, even all those, Lord, that they may have been broken, that they've, they've, uh, they've been maybe felt like they've been twisted. Somebody's just done something that did them wrong. And, and Lord, and so, Father, we thank you. You're the restorer of all things. And, Father, mm-hmm. we know that, Lord, if we look to you, Father, the author and finisher of our faith, Father, if we can keep our eyes on you, Father, no matter what Satan throws at us, that, Father, that we can be that overcomer that you promised us, that we can be part of the bride of Christ. We can be those sons of God, and we can fulfill the works that you have for us, the reason we were put on this earth. We weren't put on this earth just to live out our time and and do what we want to do, but you have a plan and purpose for each person, Lord. And, Father, I pray that each one, even listen to this, Lord, will Lord, just put their eyes on you and that, Father, you would put people in their path, O God, that, Lord, that will help them through whatever they're walking through right now, Father. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, because you are so faithful and that you would just touch each one. In your name, Lord Jesus, we give you all the glory. Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the podcasting platform suggest this podcast to other listeners who are also looking for a great move of the Holy Spirit. Check out our website at globaloutpouring.org to find out more information, read our blogs, connect with us, and donate. You can also browse our web store for life-changing anointed books. Until next time, this is Sharon Buss. And I'm Philip Buss. God bless you with his overwhelming, loving presence.